Sunday of Advent, Lord, we just want to come before you and proclaim that we believe in you. We believe in who you say you are. We believe that you're coming back again. Lord, we thank you for coming and forgiving us of our sins. Pray that we would all open our hearts to you and hear what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, one more time, I know I've already been up here since we did the dedication and all that, but welcome to you. Um, For those of you who are here for the first time, as Tanya said, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. If you've never been here before, we want to say welcome to you. And uh, we want you to know something else that's really, really important to us here at Northridge. And that is that uh, if you're here for the first time, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, maybe you have been walking with God for a long time, seems like forever. Maybe you're here, you're just starting a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you honestly, maybe you haven't admitted it, but you say, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. I'm not even sure what that looks like. I didn't even know you're supposed to. Um, Or maybe you're here and you would say, you know, I'm not sure where I'm at with God. I don't even know if I believe in God or the Bible. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, anywhere on that spectrum, anywhere in between, this is a safe place for you. We invite you. We look forward to your questions. And what our goal here is, is to help each other to walk every day in faith with a relevant following in in Christ as much as possible. So that's what we hear, and that's why we do everything the way that we do it here at Northridge, uh, is to be as relevant as possible to take God's Word and apply it to our everyday life. Well, we're going to start doing something very different here today. You can already tell if you're here for the first time, we do things differently. Uh, But we're going to do something very different, and this might be a little uncomfortable, but how many of you have heard of the game Musical Chairs? Just show me your hand. Anybody in here, have you ever heard of the game? How many of you have actually played Musical Chairs? Anybody in here play it? Okay, most of you. So you know how this works. Okay, good. So basically, it's very simple. If you haven't played this, we play music. And while we play music, everybody walks around the chairs. Okay? And so here's what we're going to do just for fun this morning. Man, it's the first of Advent. So we have to go crazy, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to just play some music. And then I want everybody, when we hear the music, you just get up and you're just going to wander around. And then we're going to sit down and we're going to see where you end up. And who knows who you get to sit next to for the rest of the service. Isn't this going to be awesome? So we're just going to play some musical chairs this morning. All right? Okay, you guys ready? Bevan, you're going to play some music for us? I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. All right, so, so I, I know I got some of you, like you were, man, your eyes were big. I mean, I know I sometimes do this to you, but man, I got them this time. Like, woo, that was awesome. You, I really wish you could, we, we should take video from here and just watch, you know, and just kind of see, we know who falls asleep, we know, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but, the re, the, but seriously, I want to ask you a question based on what I just did, okay? And I want you to be honest, How many of you, when I just told you we're going to do that, and when I said, okay, let's start the music, how many of you, in all honesty, if you're just being honest with the room, okay, by raising your hand, how many of you were nervous, you didn't want to do it, you were really unsure, you were not comfortable with that at all? How many of you in the room were uncomfortable with doing this? Okay, some of you are lying, but that's okay. All right, good. In church, too. Unbelievable. No, but, but a lot of us were uncomfortable. You're kind of like, I don't know. Now, I, let me, let, let, let's also get the other side. How many of you, honestly, you were kind of like, hey, this is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to this. 
All right, take note. Those are the crazies in the room, okay? Just, just so we know who they are. Okay, so, so the, the, the truth is, when we have an idea of how something is supposed to go, say, for example, Sunday morning service, or your day at work, or whatever else, and that gets interrupted, then it kind of throws us off, doesn't it? It's the same feeling that we might get when God interrupts us. Well, the reason I bring this up is because today we're starting a brand new series. We're going to be doing this for five weeks, the whole month of Christmas and Advent. And Advent is very simply us preparing ourselves to celebrate Jesus. And this series is called Interrupted. And we have a whole bunch of different titles for the various different messages that we're going to do. But we're talking about Interrupted. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, close look at the Christmas story for five weeks And we're going to dig into various parts of the Christmas story. And we're going to look at how people in the Christmas story, and when I say the Christmas story, I mean the real one. I mean the real one as it's written in the Bible, the original Christmas story. We're going to look at how the people in the Christmas story were interrupted in their lives by God, by Jesus. And we're going to take those parallels to our own lives and talk about what it means for us to be interrupted in our everyday lives. And so you guys got a glimpse of that, didn't you? Some of you were starting to hyperventilate. You're like, I'm going to have to sit next to somebody I don't know. I didn't sign up for this. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Some of you were thinking of ways out. Some of you were going to faint and like uh, fake sickness. I know. You were thinking, you're like, how do I get out of this? This is crazy. That feeling that a lot of you had is a similar feeling that we might get when God interrupts and says, hey, I need you to do something. And we get nervous and we get uncomfortable. Well, we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. And today we're going to focus on the wise men part of the story. We're gonna, it's one of the most popular parts of the Christmas story. It's what we all think about, you know, the wise men uh, coming in, bearing gifts to Jesus. And we're going to look at that part of the story. We're going to talk about how they were interrupted and how it applies to our lives today. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And I apologize for my voice. It's all scratchy. I've been talking. We had all of uh, Laura's family here this week for Thanksgiving, 29. And so I did a lot of laughing, talking, everything. And it's just, it's just rough. It's raw. So I apologize in advance. All right. So it's just the way it is. And it could be that I ate too much. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at the wise men part of the story. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So the wise men come, and they, they, they see this star, and they're getting ready to worship them. They go all the way to Jerusalem. And now we're going to skip a few verses because they have this conversation right now. And I'm not going to read this because we're going to actually look at this on another week of this series. Okay? We're going to talk about King Herod and how he plays into the whole mix. So we're going to skip forward a little bit. So they have a conversation with King Herod. And then after this interview that they have with King Herod, then they move on. So we're going to go down to verse 9. After this interview or this conversation with King Herod, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child, Jesus, with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So today I want to talk about three ways, three ways that the wise men were interrupted 
three areas of life that they were interrupted, and in the three same things that probably God will interrupt you and I in our everyday lives, in our here 2016 lives. So the first way that they were interrupted is they were interrupted in time. As you, if you look at that first verse again, it says that the wise men went to Jerusalem from the east. Now, we don't know exactly where that was, but when in the writing they say that these people from Israel, when they say somebody came from the east, generally they're talking about either Babylon or Persia, okay? They were just kind of like, they came from over there, okay? So that's what they're saying. When the Bible says they came from eastern lands or they came from the east, they're more than likely, we don't know for sure, but they're more than likely saying they came from Babylon or Persia. Now, if the, if the wise men came from all the way from Babylon, we're talking hundreds of miles okay, away. If they came from Persia, we're talking from anywhere from 900 to 1,000 miles was their journey. Okay, so we're talking about a very large trip. Now, to put this into perspective, because we generally, I don't know about you, but Laura and I, we lived in North Dakota, South Dakota for a while. Uh, hundreds of miles is just kind of normal for us. Like that's how, that's what we have to do to get to see family. We drive hours and hours and hours to see family. All right. And so this is normal, but if you kind of think about that, uh, so we can go hundreds of miles in a day and it just takes several hours. Well, the problem is the wise men, they don't have Expedia. It hasn't been invented yet, right? The internet has not been, so they cannot go on and click, click, click. Ooh, 249. That's the best price for tickets. Let's do that. Let's get to Jerusalem tomorrow right? They can't do that. So they see the star rise in the sky. They have to like plan. They have to get everything. They don't have an SUV. They don't have a minivan. They can't put on, you know, the, the little DVD player for the kiddos. They, they can't do that. They don't have that. They have to walk it, right? Or at the minimum, they're going to ride camels or something like that. We always see the wise men riding camels. We have no idea if they rode camels. We also don't know if there were three of them. We assume there were three because there were three gifts. The, the Bible just tells us there were at least two, because it says plural, wise men, not wise man. Okay, so it's wise men. We know they're plural. It could have been 10. It could have been 20. It could have been two. We don't know. But there were wise men, and they come, and, and, and it's going to take them a long time. So to give you an idea of what it would take for you and I to make the same journey that the wise men did back in that day, okay, this would be like if you and your family decided that you were going to take a trip to New York City, and you're going to walk there. Okay? You're not going to drive. You're not going to fly. You're not going to do anything else. You're going to walk and say, hey, kids, so next week we're going to go visit somebody in New York City. Um, but it's actually going to be in a year from now because we're going to walk there. How does that sound? I don't know about how your kids would react. I'm not sure they'd be excited. I, you guys probably wouldn't be excited, right? You're like, we're walking to New York City? That's how far the wise men had to travel. So we're talking about a long time. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is no longer a baby when the wise men get there. So this whole mental image of the shepherds and the wise men and all the animals and everybody's there. Really not true. The wise men weren't there. They didn't get there until months, maybe even more than a year later. We do know that Jesus was less than two years old. But it's quite possible that Jesus was a toddler by the time the wise men got there. They had to take a huge amount of their time to get to see Jesus. God interrupted their very lives. It's quite possible they were gone from their home for up to two years, if not even more. So this is a huge interruption in time. I remember uh, just a couple of years ago, I was um, on a field trip with Jackson. 
and uh, and he and I were I can't even remember where we went. I think we went down to Madison to do like the the Omnidome or something like that, where they do the stars and all that kind of stuff. So we went down there. It was a really cool field trip, and we came back. And uh, and on the way back on the bus, I've actually shared this story once before. Uh, but on the way back on the bus, Jackson looks at me and he says, "Dad, Dad, can you come in and come into the school and come to the cafeteria and have lunch with me?" And um, and I was like, my my first inclination, honestly, you know, because I was the, that was not part of the plan. Like the field trip was, we come back, then they go to have their lunch, and then the parents go back to their lives. And so I had a whole bunch of stuff to do that afternoon that I had scheduled. I had appointments and everything else. And so my inclination, actually, my, my first inclination in response to him was going to be no. In fact, I started to explain to him. I said, well, Jackson, you know, uh, there's stuff that I have to do this. I have to do You know how that goes, right? You're playing it all in your mind, everything that you have to do, and this is why I can't do this. But then God was very clear to me that day on that school bus, loud school bus. He said, you need to go have lunch with your son." Now, again, God did not say it in like the Charlton Hessen voice. It wasn't like, thou shalt eat lunch with thy son, you know, today. It, it wasn't that. I just, in my heart, I knew. It was not dad guilt. It wasn't like, man, if I was a good dad, I would go to lunch. I should do this. It wasn't that. I've had that before. I know what that feels like. This was God saying, you have to have lunch with your son today. I was like, so I kind of, in midstream, I told Jackson, I was like, you know what, Jackson? I'll go run to McDonald's. I'll grab some food, and, you know, I'll, I'll meet you in the cafeteria. So I did. So we had lunch. All of a sudden, the bell rings. Jackson runs off. And lo and behold, I'm sitting there with somebody else, and actually, she's here today. And there's a parent of another, of a daughter who is sitting across from us, and we start having a conversation. I kind of shared. I was like, yeah, this is funny. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I wasn't even supposed to have lunch here today. But I really just felt like I was supposed to do this, supposed to have lunch here today. And what was really weird, cool, crazy, awesome is that she said, yeah, I'm here for the same reason. I knew I needed to have lunch here today. And so we started talking. We started talking about life. We started talking about God. We started talking about church. And basically, I won't fill in all the, all the details, but essentially, this, this person and, and her family, they are now part of Northridge. They're highly involved here. God has done some amazing things in their life and through their life, and they're a huge blessing to Northridge Church as a result of that. And I had no clue, no clue that that was in the cards from God. I guess the point is, when God interrupts your time and your plans, you need to listen. Because you don't know what God has in store for you. He probably has unbelievable, not probably, he has amazing things, but we just don't know what those things are until we allow ourselves to be interrupted by time. The truth is, our time is valuable, isn't it? But God needs to be more valuable. Our plans are valuable, but God's plans are higher than ours. And so we have to do that. The second way that the wise men were interrupted, they were interrupted in their wealth. Oh, this is a fun one, right? How many of you love this one, right? They were interrupted in their wealth. If you look back at verse 11, it's the last one that we read. It says this. It says, they, the wise men, entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. Now, in years past, I've gone through the symbolism and why these three gifts were really important, why they gave these three gifts to Jesus. There's a reason for that. But I'm not going to get into that. The basic thing that we need to know is we already know that gold is really valuable, right? Gold is one of those that's really valuable. If, you would, uh, if they gave them a bunch of gold coins or a brick today or whatever, then gold would be anywhere from five to $600,000. Okay? One of these bricks would be like five to $600,000 worth. Okay? So gold we know is extremely valuable. In Jesus' day, it was. Okay? Frankincense, um, I don't know if a lot of people know what this is, but this is what it looks like. Isn't that look not cool? Like, this looks gross. I mean, I, I honestly, until I looked this up, I didn't even know what frankincense looks like. I mean, that, but that's what it looks like. It's, a, it's like a sap. It's a resin that they collect from trees in the Middle East, in, the, in that area. And uh, frankincense, when they, when they kind of form this together and they use it, they use it and they burn it in the temple. And it was extremely hard to get it and extremely hard to prepare it. And so it was extremely valuable. It cost a lot to get frankincense. And then myrrh is actually the same thing. It looks even more gross, in my opinion. I mean, it's just one of those things. I won't say what I think of that. But anyway, um, I was going to say something maybe slightly off and inappropriate. I won't go there. It's just where my mind goes, you know. But uh, it, it's, it, it, I'll just say this. Uh, I've wiped a few noses this week, and so that's what I was thinking, okay? I'll just put it that way. All right, so the myrrh, the myrrh is one of those things, it's one of those resins, one of those saps that you use, that they use to prepare people for burial. It was one of those really expensive things that they did not use except for a very, very special and important occasion. So they give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. The point is, this was really valuable stuff, really valuable stuff. Most of this stuff would have equated to a person's entire year's salary or more. Just a little bit of it. And so they gave these gifts to Jesus. They were interrupted in their wealth. Another story, uh, you get a lot of stories about me today. I apologize for that in advance. Uh, Just this past fall, I was at a conference uh, down in Chicago. And they were sharing at this conference, they were sharing of their great vision to be able to expand this conference to more and more and more countries around the world. And they already are in a lot of countries around the world. But it's a Christian conference. It's they, they do leadership, but then they also uh, promote the name of Jesus and all kind of stuff. And they wanted to, to be able to expand this conference into other countries around the world. And they were already in, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 countries, something like that. Uh, and they wanted to get into more. And so they were going to get ready to take an offering, take a donation for this. And I'm sitting there, and you have to know something about me and my wallet. I never have cash. All right. I just never do. I don't know how, how you roll and if you do and all that stuff, but I just, I just never have cash. In fact, Jackson wanted a treat this morning. I was like, I opened it up. I showed him. I was like, empty, buddy. I mean, nothing in there. I'm sorry. Okay. And I just never have cash. But on this particular occasion, I'm sitting in the conference. They're about to take this offering. And, uh, and the only cash I have, the only reason I have cash, because I never have it, is because I just gotten a couple of birthday cards and I gotten a, I don't know, a 50 or a couple of 20s. I can't remember what I had in there. Uh, but it wasn't a lot, but it was some. And again, this was not an audible voice, but God made it very clear, I need you to give your birthday money. And I was like, people are going to be given like thousands of dollars. And I, I would like to say that I just immediately pulled out my wallet and was like, okay, sounds good, you know, but I didn't. I wrestled with God. Now, nobody else in that row, there's some of you who are here because you were with me at that conference. You didn't know I was wrestling with this. I know, I've never told anybody this. I never even told Laura this. 
But I wrestled with God in that moment. And it was silly because it was over like 40, 50 bucks. But I wrestled with God because, because I don't know about you, but when I have cash in my wallet, it means that I can go through a drive through and get a treat real quick, right? I don't have to answer and be like, call my wife and be like, hey, do we have enough in the account, you know, for me to get whatever? I just have the cash. I can just like, woo, awesome, thank you, and on we go. And so I love that. As a guy, especially as a man, I'm like, yeah, I have $20. Yes. I mean, I know this seems little, but to me, this is a big deal. And so I'm wrestling with God. I'm like, no, this is my treat money. Like, this is where I can just get something and I don't have to ask. Awesome. God, you know, I have three kids like they're always. No, I don't have to ask. This is. And God says, you need to give it. And I wrestled for several minutes, honestly, while they were talking about the vision and all that stuff. And finally, they passed it around. And literally, at the last minute, the last second, as they were getting ready to pass them down, I pulled it out and I threw it in kind of begrudgingly, to be honest. I, was, I really, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, <clears throat> okay, right? It's when you're going to give, hand it off to somebody that, and they're grabbing it and you're not letting go. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and take it. No, really. No, really. That's how it was for me. But what it came down to was I was not allowing God to interrupt my plans, my wealth, my finances. I don't know about you, but I am that way with finances and money sometimes. I hold on to it too tightly. I just, I get, I get selfish with it. And God was saying through the wise men to you, to me, to everybody, are you going to allow me to interrupt you in your finances? It might be a person that needs help. It might be a coworker that, that could use some extra assistance. It might be the homeless person that you see, and maybe you don't give them money. Maybe you take them around the corner and you, you give them a meal. You take them to you know, someplace and buy them a meal. Whatever it is, but will you allow God to interrupt you, not only in time, but also in your finances? That's a hard one. That's a hard one. But it's not quite as hard as this last one. The third one that... The way that the wise men were interrupted was they were interrupted in their power and their priorities. This is a really difficult one because this one controls everything else. They were interrupted in their power and their priorities. Let's, let's look back at verse 11 one more time. It says, they entered the house and saw the child, saw Jesus with his mother Mary, and they did what? They bowed down and worshiped him. Now, this is one of those things where it's easy to to pass this off. Because the wise men, we know that they were uh, important. We know that they were extremely wealthy, obviously, by their gifts, because most normal people didn't even have that stuff. And so they were extremely wealthy. We don't know, but they may have been extremely powerful. And so the wise men, they come in. Not only did they allow God to interrupt their time, not only did they allow God to interrupt them in their wealth and their finances, but then they get to be in the presence of Jesus and these men who usually bow to very few people, if nobody, maybe just the king. Wise men usually served the king directly. They were usually advisors for the king directly. They probably bowed to no one but the king. They get in the presence of Jesus and they get on their faces and they bow at his feet. In other words, you know what they're saying? And it's hard because we don't typically bow anymore. But you have to understand, in this culture, in this day, this is huge. You do not 
prostrate yourself before somebody who doesn't deserve it. And so they bow before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself. And what they are saying to everybody else in the room and everybody else that knows them is they're saying, Jesus outranks everybody else here. That's what they are saying. Jesus outranks you, he outranks me, he outranks the sheep, he outranks everybody else that's here. And they were demonstrating that not only with their time, not only with their wealth, but also with their posture, how they appeared to people. And that is a big thing to be interrupted in that. One more practical example from our life on that. Uh, About 10 years ago, so back to 2006, 2005, 2006, Laura and I, you guys know that we were teachers before this. Uh, I taught history in, the high, in public high school, and Laura taught third grade. Our stories at the end of the day were very different. I'll tell you what, third grade to high school, man, it was just, it was just crazy. Anyway, uh, that's for another time. But uh, you just, we just had a blast teaching. And so um, it was during that time of teaching, about a few years into it, that God became very clear to me. He, call, he was calling me to stop being a teacher, to go out of teaching as a career, and to become a pastor, to go into full-time ministry. And there uh, was a lot of wrestling with God on that. But I've told that story before. I know I've told you guys many times that. But one thing I probably haven't mentioned is what happened as soon as I opened ourselves up to getting into full-time ministry is I started getting calls from pastors at various churches around the country. And they would call to, to see if I would be willing to interview for you know, certain staff positions, to go on staff as, as an assistant pastor. Uh, But every time, I kid you not, every time I would get an email or a call from a pastor, they wanted me to come into the church and do children's ministry. Children's ministry, right? Now, for me, I was just thinking, God, I, I, I know you know a lot, but I think you missed the boat with me. Like me and children, like I just don't know if that's gonna work. I just, I just don't think that I would be good at being a children's pastor. I, I just didn't see it. I, I was like, I, I think that they would just look at me like, who is this guy? And what is he trying to do? Like, he's just talking up there. I don't even know what he's saying. And then these are the visions I was getting. And I was, I was worried about it. I was scared about it. I didn't think it was going to work. I really didn't. And so uh, I got this, these calls and things, and I turned them down one after the other after the other. In fact, I even started to kind of get this glimpse from God. And so I even went so far as to do an interview in, in, uh, in La Crosse, Wisconsin one, one time. And we had an interview, and I was like, eh, no, no thanks. And I turned it down. Well, finally, fast forward, that happened for a year. That went on for a year that I get, get these correspondence and Laura and we'd pray about it. No. And I'd be like, no way. Children's ministry, are you kidding me? And so uh, go fast forward through not quite a year, but it's that next spring. And I get a call from a guy named Steve Norby in Williston, North Dakota. Literally the end of the earth. Or if it's not, you can see it from there. Okay, really, you know how they say it. That's what it is. And I, get, and I get this call from Steve Norby, and lo and behold, he wants to fly Laura and I up to North Dakota to interview for, guess what? Children's ministry. He wants me to be a children's ministry. And I'm going, unbelievable. I cannot escape this. 
And so I have three long phone conversations. I'll kind of make the story faster and through it with Steve. And it went really well. He and I talked really well. And by the way, Laura's sister and her husband and their kids are here. They lived in Wilson, North Dakota. They already lived in the ends of the earth. Okay, and so they were there. So this was this was kind of one of those extra dynamics. They were at the church there. Um, Tom was actually one of the assistant pastors. But I had these conversations with Steve, and and after the third conversation, I turned him down. And I said, Steve, you know, this has been amazing. It sounds awesome. I love this idea. I know that you have confidence in me. I appreciate you being willing to pay to fly us up there to interview and all that. This is awesome. But I said, I, I just. I just don't think this is for me. Children's ministries, that's not the thing that I think that God is, wants me to do. And I think it was, it was either later that day or the very next day. It was very soon after. Pastor Steve wrote a three-page, single-spaced email to me. And I won't tell you everything that it said in there, but the gist was, Brent, This is why I think you're completely missing the boat and missing what God is telling you. That's essentially what he he called me out. It's essentially what he did. He called me out and saying, I think that you're making a bad decision here. And he told me why. And everything was right. He was right on. He he hit the bullseye. And so I called and I talked to Laura. We prayed about some more. And I told Laura, I said, God is telling us we have to go there. Like, we're going to interview and we're going to move there and it's a done deal. And she agreed. And it was amazing. Those few years were amazing. And there's no way, let me just tell you this, there's no way that I would have been anywhere near ready to come and help start Northridge if it weren't for doing children's ministry for several years in Wilson, North Dakota. I can just tell you, there's, there's a lot of reasons why I know that. But there's just no way. God knew I had to go through that and experience the joys and the blessings of that and learn a lot. God knew he had to teach me a lot. He still has a long way to go, by the way, for me. But I had to do this before I got here. Basically, what happened was Steve was helping me to realize that God was trying to interrupt what my power and my priorities were. My power and my priority said, I'm not going to be a good children's pastor. I don't know that I can work with kids. I'm scared of that. I don't think I want to do it. God said, yes, you will. Yes, you are. And let's get this done. And Steve, I needed Steve and some others, honestly, to help me see that. So the question for all of you here this morning is simple. My question for you is, how is God interrupting you today? Out of the three examples that I gave, two of them I wrestled against God because I didn't want to play musical chairs. God says, do this, give this, sacrifice this. This is a change. We're going to go this way now. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've listened, but sometimes I go, no, God, no, I know better. Do you know how silly that sounds when we tell God, I know better? I I just, I would like to see God's face sometimes. Like, I don't know how that works, you know. I'd love to see God's face when I say, no, really, I got this. (laughs) Really, seriously, I'm, I'm good. 
I'm amazing. And God says, well, I mean, you are cool. <laughs> but I, I kind of, I got you beat, I think, on the, on the bigness thing, on the powerful thing. How's God interrupting you in your life? Are you allowing him to interrupt in your time, in your finances, in your power, and your priorities? Because here's the deal, and you're not going to like this question. But if you are truly a believer in God and follow Christ, my question to you is, do your actions show that? I've told you two out of three times, I would say that my actions weren't quite there. I wrestled a lot against God. If you are a follower of Christ, then that means wherever he goes, we have to go. And let me just tell you, sometimes it's going to be giving away birthday money. (laughs) Sometimes it's going to be playing musical chairs on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it's going to be that you sacrifice your time for somebody that you don't like. Sometimes it's going to be you choosing to do something that you did not have planned to do. You want to do this, but God says, I really need you to do this. And you're going to have to make a choice. How's God interrupting you and what is your response to that? It comes down to that question today. My prayer and my hope for all of you is, in this season of Christmas, in this Advent season, no matter where you're at with God, that you would just pray and that you would open your heart, that you would open your mind, that you would open yourself and your life to being interrupted by God. Because I can tell you that God wants amazing things for your life. That's not a question. The question is, will you experience it or will you go against God and miss it entirely? That's what it comes down to. My hope and prayer is that you allow yourself, like the wise men, to be interrupted by Jesus. Now, did you notice something in the wise men's story? Because the wise men allowed themselves to be interrupted in all those areas of their life, do you know where it led them? It led them to the feet of Jesus which is the only place that anybody ever needs to be, is at the feet of Jesus. In order to get there, in order to become more and more like Christ, the only way to do that is to surrender, to allow yourself to be interrupted more and more. And every time you do, every time you do, every time you allow God to interrupt you, you become more and more like Christ, you grow grow closer to him. So, what is God saying to you? How is he interrupting you? Will you listen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins. I thank you for this season of Advent where we are called by you to refocus, to really focus our hearts, our eyes, our lives, our direction on who you are and celebrating you. 
Jesus, thank you for loving us. This week, these next few months, for the rest of our lives, Lord, I pray that as you interrupt us, that we would listen. As the wise men were, may we be prepared to follow. May we be prepared to get into that. God, interrupt us and help us to be ready to respond. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.